Well, let's keep that passage open before us, Matthew chapter 6, and uh, to set the scene, I wonder if I could just read the previous few verses too. Verse 5, Matthew 6, verse 5, page 970. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray, Our Father, which is what we have already read. This is part of the series we have on prayer, and it's a great thing to focus on prayer, not just when we have a, a week of special prayer about a particular issue, but at any time, it's, a, it's an important thing, isn't it, to focus on prayer, for we know that prayer is an important aspect of living our Christian lives. Um, this particular session, if you've noticed it from your bulletin, is this is how you should pray. This is how you should pray, which comes from verse 9. And although it introduces the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to touch on that, we're not going to do an exposition of the whole of that prayer, but some of the aspects of praying. And I'd like to make sure that in so doing, we make um, quite a bit of what we're doing very practical about how we should pray. And uh, it's not the easiest subject, if we're honest. I stand before you as a failure in prayer. But I don't think probably there's any one of us who would stand up and say, I'm a success in prayer. But we are all learners, and I feel it as much as anyone in this room, I'm sure. But it is such an important subject, isn't it? I mean, Jim Packer, J.I. Packer, in his book on prayer, says, I believe that prayer is the measure of a man spiritually, in a way, in a way that nothing else is. So that how we pray is as, an Im as, is as um, important a question as we can ever face. Or to put it in the words of Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, Tim Keller says, the infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. How does that make you feel? Many people will pray when they are required by cultural or social expectations or perhaps by the anxiety of troubling circumstances. Those with a genuinely lived relationship with God as Father, however, will inwardly want to pray and therefore will pray even though nothing on the outside is pressing them to do so. They pursue it even during times of spiritual dryness when there's no social or experiential payoff. Now I guess just introducing like that, that would mean that most of us would say, Lord, that's what I want, but that's what I don't have. 
That's what I want. I want to feel like that. I want to feel that I must pray. I want to pray. I long to pray. Not just that I do it because I ought to pray, but because I want to pray and spend time with the Lord in prayer. Now, it's surely significant that that the disciples never went to Jesus, as far as we can tell from the New Testament, they never went to Jesus and said, Lord, will you teach us to evangelize? Or Lord, will you teach us to prophesy? Or Lord, will you teach us to preach or to heal or to witness or whatever? But they did go to Jesus and said, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Why is that? I wonder why that was the particular subject they went to Jesus with. In uh, Luke 11, it says, Lord, teach us to pray. That's the introduction that's to this particular prayer that's in Luke chapter 11. And I think perhaps there are two reasons, or at least two reasons, there may be others as well, but at least two reasons. First of all is I'm sure that they, like us, felt their failure in prayer. They knew that they were not getting to grips with what prayer is all about. I'm sure they did pray as disciples, but still they felt that they were inadequate in their prayer life. And they came to Jesus and said, Lord, will you teach us to pray? But perhaps there's another reason, and that is that after walking with Jesus for two years or so, which is about the length of time before Jesus said this similar words in Luke chapter 11, having walked with Jesus for two years, they'd become convinced, I think, that prayer was the secret of Jesus' ministry from a human point of view. It was that that Jesus went to again and again. It was central to who Jesus was. They knew that Jesus knew how to pray. All the other things, the preaching, the ministry to people, the healing, the prophecy, the worship, all that is an outflow of prayer. And they could see that. Uh, Jesus had certain places that he went to to pray. The Garden of Gethsemane, for example, is one place that we know he went to. He made certain sacrifices to pray. For example, it tells us he got up a great while before day and went out to pray. And the disciples were with Jesus in pressure problems and crises after crises. But they noticed that whenever a crisis arose, the response of Jesus both before and after was to pray. G. Campbell Morgan, in his book, The Crisis of the Christ, says, he points out that before and after every crisis in Jesus' ministry here on earth, he prayed. So they came to him and said, Lord Jesus, will you please teach us to pray? Now, it struck me forcibly as I was thinking about this that when they came to Jesus in Luke chapter 11 and said, Lord, teach us to pray in verse 1, Jesus gave them there exactly the same prayer that he gave at the very beginning of his ministry that we've just read in Matthew chapter 6. Almost word for word the same. Two years later, In other words, he was saying to them, look, I said this right at the beginning and I'm going right back to the same thing. This is how you are to pray. 
the Matthew chapter 6, of course, is the Sermon on the Mount. And it says in the Sermon on the Mount that he preached, he called his disciples to him, and the, cr the crowds gathered, the multitude gathered, and he then went on and gave the Sermon on the Mount, of which is this is part of the closing part of that message. So it was in the presence of the multitude that Jesus gave this instruction about praying. But when you get to Luke chapter 11, where he repeats it, in Luke chapter 11, it was just to his disciples in response to them saying, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Now, what does that say to me? Now, we often think of the Lord's Prayer as being a kind of model or framework for our praying. An example. We can study it. We can learn from it. But it's not meant to be taken as a literal prayer that we pray, we sometimes feel, and prayed verbally by us, we say. But, you know, I think it's more than that, more than just the framework of prayer. You notice in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, Jesus said, this is how you are to pray, which suggests it's a model for praying, the Lord's Prayer. This is the way to do it. But when you get to Luke chapter 11 and the first two verses where Jesus introduces it, Jesus said this, when you pray, say, then he goes on to the Lord's Prayer. And the actual original language is, it's much more prescriptive. These are the words to use, is what he says in Luke chapter, chapter 11. Isn't that interesting? It's not just a framework. He's saying these are the words that you use. He actually uses the word logos. And when you say this, these are the words that you say. Now, right now, I can hear some cogs turning in people's minds. And some are saying, well, if we were to just pray like that regularly, you know, two or three times a day and on Sundays and so on and so on, wouldn't it become very much more like, well, it comes close to meaningless repetition, isn't it? After all, prayers can be re meaningless repetition, can't they? But doesn't this come close to meaningless repetition if we uh, say that these words are the ones that we ought to say? But we remember, we're trying to find out, how can I pray? That's why the disciples came to Jesus and said, how can I pray? Lord, teach me to pray. So what about repeating prayers? Is it wrong to repeat prayers? Is it wrong, for example, to use a prayer book in our praying? Or prayers that other people have written? Is that unhelpful for us? In our tradition here at Abbey, and perhaps from which we come, we tend not to use written prayers or a prayer book approach to prayer. We tend not to, though other parts of the Christian church do. But in giving this prayer at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So this, is that verse telling us that we shouldn't pray written prayers because it becomes just repetition? Is that what he's saying? Well, I think the answer is no, because it tells us in Matthew 26 about Jesus' prayer life, and particularly in Matthew 26 where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and his heart is, un is burdened about what he's going to face. It says, in the garden, uh, Jesus went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same words. That's interesting, isn't it? He didn't just pray in different ways. He said the same words at least 
three times. That's more. But we know that it was three times because that verse tells us it was at least three times. So that means in Matthew 6, Jesus cannot be condemning repeated prayers, even the same words. When he says, uh, don't be like the pagans who just babble on in their prayers. Rather what he's saying is, as some versions translate that verse, when he says, um, don't be like the pagans, um, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, they think they will be heard because of their many words. Um, I think what is being said there, is, is it, as it puts it in some translations, don't be like the pagans who heap up words. That's how it's translated in some versions. They, they, they just heap up words. In other words, all words, no thought, no heart. It's just words that the pagans do. Actually, verse 7, where he says that, in Matthew 6, when you pray, don't be like, keep on babbling like the pagans, the second half of that verse explains the first half. The first half says about not babbling like pagans. The second half says, for they think they will be heard by their many words. So Jesus is saying, look, words are not the issue here. The many words are not the issue at all. So exactly what does this instruction from Jesus cut out from our Christian repertoire when we pray? Well, I think it cuts out things like prayer wheels, which we don't do, of course, but some religions do. Prayer wheels and prayer flags and perhaps rosary beads and uh, certainly transcendental meditation, which I'll refer to in just a, in just a minute. And even repeating 30 Hail Marys and so on. All of those are things that relieve the speaker of the discipline of engaging the mind if we're not very careful. And it's that that Jesus is on about. It doesn't matter what you're thinking as long as you say it and say it and say it and say it. And go through the beads a thousand and one times or repeat this 30 times or whatever it is. It's not your mind involved, it's just saying it. In fact, the Maharishi, Mahesh Yogi, who introduced transcendental meditation to this country at the time of the Beatles, you'll remember, he actually taught that they should repeat Om and other things. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. And he said that the reason for repeating it was so that you empty your mind. Much yoga is that too. So that you empty your mind. Peace and well-being will come when you empty your mind. But that's not what Jesus says. When Jesus says that when you pray, that our minds and our hearts should be engaged. It's not against repetition in prayer, but that it's against the sort of thing that takes our, it becomes automatic so that our hearts and our minds are not involved. It's that mindlessness that Jesus is condemning, that it doesn't forbid those other things at all. So it all depends on whether your heart or mind is involved. You can use prayer books, and I, it's a very good thing to do, etc., as long as your heart and mind is involved in what you're doing. If it expresses your heart and mind, repetition is often very helpful. But if it's just saying the words, then no, it's not helpful. Now we have to be very careful here. Um, the kind of unwritten prayers that we tend to see and practice most frequently 
some people call it free prayer or extemporaneous prayer, that sort of prayer is just as prone to repetition as any other sort of prayer. Mindless repetition. So we must be careful and not stickle. There are phrases that you hear again and again and again and you think to yourself, do we think about these phrases as the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? What do we mean by that? Are we really thinking about that when we say it? You know, and there are lots of phrases. I won't go through them more. You can think of them yourselves. But they become to us just religious jargon when we pray. Now that leads to another question. Why is that kind of praying wrong? Well, it become it because as it, it comes from a, a, a misunderstanding of the character of God, is what Jesus says here. Jesus said they do it because they, will, they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now let me ask you, what kind of a God is that? Who would be impressed by the number of words you used? <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. God is not like that. He's not impressed with the words, the number of words that you offer to him. And by the way, let me just digress slightly. We can even do that with prayer letters. I don't know whether you've ever been in a position of having to write prayer letters and so on. But I can remember, in it was a long while ago now, I received a prayer letter, and I <laughs> it struck me at the time. This person said, when you receive this, will you pass it on to all your contacts? And then ask them to pass it on to all their contacts. Let's see if we can get a million people praying. Now, I understand what they mean. I don't even disagree with what they mean. And so on. But, but God's not impressed with words and the numbers and so on. That's not what God is impressed with at all. Of course, we want to encourage people to pray. But our praying should be much more surely like that that Paul speaks of in Philippians chapter 1 when he prays for them. and He says, look, I pray you because I hold you in my heart. If we hold people in our hearts, then it's great if thousands of people are praying. But if it's just repeating things that we know nothing about, it doesn't impress God at all. So don't be like them, says Jesus, those pagans. Why not? Because many words don't impress God. After all, your heavenly Father knows what you need before you even ask him, he says in verse 8. Now that leads on to the question, if God knows what we need before we ask, why do we bother to ask? Let me quote from John Calvin, no less, in answer to that question. He says this, Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him or of exciting him to do his duty or of urging him as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him and that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into him. In a word, that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect both for themselves and for others all good things. In other words, what he's saying is we pray because it's a relationship thing. Darren was talking about it last week. It's the relationship of that uh, is the thing that dominates us. That's why we pray, not because God doesn't know. Now let's be practical for the rest of our time. 
This is not a rigid pattern that I'm going to give with you, share with you now, but just a pattern that you may find helpful and you can adapt for yourself. And by the way, these are headings that I inherited. I don't know where from. I jotted them down some, uh, the headings, I jotted down some long while ago and I don't know who they were. So if it's you, thank you very much and apologies for not acknowledging it. But, <laughs> but I don't know. Just, just a few he headings here. First of all, so how do we pray? Some practical advice. First of all, find a place to pray. Here we will all be different because we have different circumstances. It may be by your bedside. It may be in the cupboard under the stairs. I've known people who do that. Maybe in a corner somewhere. But finding a place where every day you go to has its advantages because it means that if you go to different places all the time, there are always new things to distract you. But if it's the same place every time, you quickly get used to those things, and they're not the distraction to your thought life that otherwise they could be. And uh, similarly with time, it's a good thing to find time, the same time. It may be lunchtime. You go slip out of work for your 45 minutes lunchtime or hour, whatever you get in your lunchtime, and you go down to the local church, and you sit in the corner of that church, maybe there. It may be at home. It may be in all sorts of different places at different times. It may be walking. It's great to pray walking. But if that's your only time, it, it has its disadvantages walking because it's a good thing to use God's word, the Bible, and that's sometimes more difficult while you're walking if lampposts are around anyway. So it, may it is helpful, but may not be, be the only time. Now, you may say, well, I just don't have the peace and quiet in our family in our situation, I mean, our children are terrible. And uh, how on earth will I find time in our circumstances that, uh, and a place to pray in our circumstances? Let me just give you a little story. This is Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley was John Wesley's mother, John and Charles Wesley's mother. She was married, Susanna was married to a preacher himself, Samuel. They had 19 children nine of which died before they reached maturity. Two of them, of course, John and Charles, led many to Christ. But the, her husband, though he was a preacher, just could not manage money. They disagreed about pretty well everything and argued about pretty well everything, including politics and particularly money. Um, her husband, over politics, she wouldn't say amen to a prayer that he was praying on one occasion because he was praying about the king that she didn't agree with. Anyway, that's a different story. I mustn't, mustn't so she didn't say amen, and he got the huff over that, and he left her for some months because of that. And she was left on that occasion and for long other, other long periods of time to bring up the children by herself. One of her children was severely disabled. Another never talked until six years old. Susanna herself was desperately ill many times in her life. There was no money or food for anything, it seemed, and debt plagued them. Her husband was thrown into prison more than once because of debt, owing people money, which doubled their problems. Twice the homes they lived in were burnt to the ground. Although he was a preacher and a pastor of a church, the church didn't like some of the things he was saying, they were so mad at him. They, the, the fire was one of the fires they think was started by him, and the cows that he kept. They slit the udders of the cows that he had, 
so that the cows couldn't produce any milk for them and so on. Um, they killed their dog, burned his flax field and so on. When she was young, Susanna promised the Lord that she would give him every hour that she spent in en entertainment, she would give to him in prayer. But the pressure of bringing up all those children, looking after the family and the husband like that and all of those things and so on made it impossible for her to fulfill that. She had no time for entertainment. So that promise was pretty well meaningless because she worked the gardens and grew stuff and milked the cow and schooled the children herself and managed the entire household. But instead of that, because she didn't have entertainment time, she said to the Lord she would give him two hours of prayer every day. She struggled to find a place where she could pray with all these children and all the things that were going on. So she advised her children that when they saw her with her apron over her head, that sh she was in prayer and they must not disturb her. And she trained them like that. And they learned it. She taught them all to read before they were five. And uh, you could go on about her and you can read her story and so on. She had nowhere, but she had a corner of a room and an apron she could put over her head. When we say, well, I ha you don't know what it's like in my family, it's a bit chaotic in my family, and I don't have a room and so on, I can go, no, but you might be able to sit in the corner with an apron over your head and train your children that when your apron's over your head, that you're in quiet, they don't disturb you, and you're in prayer. Incidentally, if you want a good read, read how the rules she made for bringing up her family and meditate on them, them sometime. Learn to flip our aprons over our head, whatever that might mean in your circumstances. So find a place to pray. Secondly, start with the Bible. For 10 years after the conversion of, jo of George, M uh, George Muller, some of you know that I, like him, have had dealings with the George Muller Foundation and continue to do so, but um, George Muller down in Bristol had a um, tremendous ministry influential right round the world and still is today. But for 10 years after his conversion, George Miller tried to start each day with fervent prayer. But he struggled. He couldn't do it, he said. He was not happy as he did it. And it left him disgruntled, disappointed with himself. He felt a failure in doing it. Until one day, through the uh, sermon somebody preached in the Gospel Hall down in Tynmouth, Henry Crate. He realized that he must start with God's word. What he realized was that prayer is a conversation. It's not me telling God things. It's a conversation. And it's a conversation that he did not start. God started it. And therefore, for him to pray effectively, he needs to start listening. That's part of what this week is about, by the way. We want to hear from God, isn't it? About project issues. And uh, so he started that, and he realized that he must start listening. And as a result, he started a practice, as he put it, of meditating on the Bible until, as he put it, until my heart was happy. And then he would pray. I think that's really good advice. To meditate on God's word until your heart's happy, and then begin your prayer. He started with a brief prayer saying, Lord, will you please speak to me, give me insight, and uh, revelation through your word. And then he would read. And as he put it, he opened his ear to the word of God. He meditated on it. He didn't just read it. He meditated on it. He let it flow through every crevice in his mind and heart. 
And so he began to read through the Bible. In his lifetime, he read through it like that over 200 times. Um, <laughs> what's the time? I was going to read a few bits of his story, but let me just finish, just give you one. Um, he, 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 on November 19, 1844, November 1844, he said, I began to pray for the pr conversion of f five individuals. I prayed every day without one single intermission whether sick or in health, on the land or on the sea, or whatever the pressures of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before I saw the first of the five converted. I thanked God and prayed for the others. Five years elapsed and the second was converted. Every day pray. Five years elapsed and the second was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the other three. Day by day I prayed for them, and six more years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. The man to whom God in his riches, this man to whom God in his riches of grace had given tens of thousands answers to prayer has been praying day by day for 36 years since I began to pray for their conversion. But I hope in God I pray on and look yet for the answer. Could you do that? 36 years, not missing a single day. Earlier on, he prayed. He said this in his diary. I have prayed daily without one day's intermission for 19 years and six months for one person. By the way, he had a list of 50 things, about 50 things he prayed for every single day. He says, I'm continuing daily in prayer and expecting an answer and so expecting an answer that I've often thanked God that he will yet surely give it. So start with the Bible. Put your heart happy and in fellowship with the Lord, so that prayer becomes natural and easy, not just something that you feel you must or ought to do. And in so doing, not just reading the Bible, but meditating on it, so that it goes not just into your mind, but into your heart. Notice I haven't mentioned the amount of time you should do it. That's between you and the Lord, and it probably would grow. And this is where God's promises come in. Because as you begin to see God's promises in the word, you can begin to put your finger and say, Lord, you've said this. And I'm trusting you. I have faith in you. And in this situation, please fulfill this. You said you will. And God's promises become real to us. If you don't know how to start doing reading the Bible regularly, th there are lots of aids to help you. You've got your phone or something on which you've got a Bible reading. I mean, you phone which is one of the apps on your um, mobile phone, has got 150, 154, I think it is, different Bible reading plans to take you reading right through the whole Bible. That's different sorts and so on. You can choose, and I won't go through them all. So be start with reading the book. After uh, Bible reading, begin praying. It's often helpful to do what William Law said. In your prayer, have something fixed and something at liberty. What he meant by that was, Start with something written. That's where these written prayers are helpful to us. Maybe the Lord's Prayer itself. Something learned off by heart, perhaps. Start there thinking about it and meditating on it as you pray it. And then go into what he calls free prayer, uh, the things that you need to pray about. Now, how does this work? Well, practice the framework will be helpful to start with. I mean, it's interesting, as I said, refer, uh, referred to earlier, that when Jesus introduced the Lord's Prayer, as we call it in Luke, which is after two years or so of his ministry, 
It says, when you pray, these are the words to pray. Say, it says. That means these are the words to pray. I say unto you, and uh, so say I to you, it says in two verses later. And he said the same thing about how we to pray. This is the way to pray. And it may be a very helpful thing to start with the Lord's Prayer or some other. Martin Luther used to take the Lord's Prayer and he recommended that people use the Lord's Prayer daily, but perhaps with fresh words. By that he meant fresh, fresh translation or taking it phrase by phrase and meditating. What does this mean? And applying it and so on. Written prayers, a framework to start with. Maybe used as a prayer book or prayer guide or something like that. There are some verses in the Bible, some passages in the Bible you can use. Ephesians 1, Ephesians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 1, and so many others that you could turn to. Use some of the Psalms. I've profitably used this little book called Drawing Near from the little verse that comes in James, which says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And this is just Bible verses arranged in a certain way to be used in prayer. But there are lots of things like this around, and you can find them. So those that are written. And then maybe a framework is of help to you. The one that's most well-known, and I think is a really good one, is ACTS, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, A-C-T-S. It'll help to put into your mind those things that you might want to pray about and use in your prayer life. Which brings us to the fourth of my four points. Firstly, set aside a place and time for prayer. Secondly, begin with the Bible. Thirdly, use some framework to start with. As having meditated on God's word, uh, let the, some uh, framework help you to start with. And then finally, intercession. These are the issues that confront us, that are brought before us day by day, for which we need to pray. International matters, world issues, International Christian work, missionary work, etc. I mean, John Wesley in his journal talks of a similar kind of um, praying for international big things. In 1756, the king called for a day of solemn, solemn prayer because France was about to attack and he wanted deliverance from France, the threatened invasion of the French. And Wesley wrote, This fast day was a glorious day such as London has scarce seen since the Restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer, and there, are, and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranqu uh, tranquility, peace. Sorry. Then in, the, in his, no his uh, notebook, at the bottom, in a different ink, written obviously later, it says, Humility was turned into national rejoicing for the threatened invasion of the French was averted. Praying for international, the big issues. Then praying for national issues, our own country, and what needs to be prayed for there. Then perhaps church issues. And then family issues. And then those that need to be converted, conversion issues. And then personal issues. And you will draw up a list. And I would suggest that, we, that you might find it helpful to have a record, or keep a book, Nobody else needs to know about it. Just put down things that you're praying about so that you can remi be reminded and tick them off as um, God answers those prayers. But a few things that are to be practical. First of all, be honest. What are your burdens? What is on your heart? Express your heart. After all, Jesus said, didn't he, nothing that you say will be unknown to your father. You can be open and frank with him. 
Before you even ask, he knows the answer. Then keep a list, keep a record. It's a helpful thing sometimes. And don't be afraid of repetition. The fact you prayed it yesterday, well, pray it again today. In our prayer meetings, when we meet for prayer, when one person prays, well, it doesn't mean to say you can't pray as well. It's just that they've prayed that same thing. Now, finally, can I say that this has all worked perfectly for me? The answer is, sadly, no. I know my weaknesses here, as you do. But I do know enough to know that this is what I want. Can you say the same thing? This is what we want, to learn to pray. And I know that as we learn to pray, whether we're just starting out to learn to pray, or whether we are mature believers who have disciplined ourselves over the years to have a time of prayer life with the Lord, which really works well, we all need to know how to pray. So I've tried to be a little bit practical on these things. I hope it has been of help to you. I'll finish with one little story. D.L. Moody had somebody visit him one day, and this person visited him and was saying to him, D.L. Moody, why should we pray? How should we pray? And as they were talking about this, he heard a little girl in the house. It was the, it was the host's um, daughter, a little girl of about nine years old. She was playing on the stairs, and she was singing. So when he was asked, Moody was asked, how should we pray? What do, why do we pray? What is prayer anyway? Moody said, come with me. Went outside and to the, to out of his office to his the stairs and where this little girl was playing. And he called this little girl and he said, tell me what prayer is. And she said, this is amazing, she said, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for the things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Moody said, ah, that's a catechism. Thank God for that catechism. You know, there are all sorts of quaint things about praying, learning prayers, receiving prayers, praying from a prayer book, and so on, everything. Oh, that's just quaint. But the discipline of doing it is there today. So may God help us to learn how to pray. Let's pray together. Father, we do confess before you that we want to learn to pray. We want to be praying people. But we do find it difficult. We're easily distracted. We have so many other things. But Lord, will you teach us to pray as you taught your disciples? Now we commit ourselves to you at the end of our time of worship and praise here today. And we ask that you will go with us and guide us and lead us. And as we spend these few days, this special week in prayer, discipline our thinking and our hearts as we lift our hearts to you in prayer through this week. So bless us as we go our different ways. For Jesus' sake.